Man, I love being involved with God's people. And um, if you have your, your Bible and would open up uh, to 1 Samuel 18, we're going to continue on in our series of King David, and we're going to talk about uh, God's leadership training this morning. And uh, I just love God's Word. I love how it speaks to us. I love how it teaches us, how it guides us. But you know, David was a unusually gifted and advanced young man. While he was still a teenager, he had been anointed as king uh, to replace the disobedient King Saul. And uh, he also killed Goliath while he was a teenager. And that victory pushed David into an instant national fame and popularity. He killed the giant. He was brought into the palace. He was set over the men of war. And imagine how that must have felt to someone who was not yet 20 years old to be where David was at. And yet David did not see fit, excuse me, God did not see fit to remove the the corrupt Saul and install the upright David as king until David was about 30 years old. So what happened over this next 10 years? I mean, what was going on in David's life? I think about this because he probably was chomping at the bit. He knew he had been anointed. He defeated the big guy, you know, and and the giant. And so then you look at it and it's like, well, how come I'm not king? And I would imagine David had many uh, questions in his own mind. But let's take a look at 1 Samuel 18. I'm going to read a few verses here, uh, verse 6 through 16, um, and then we'll, we'll go from there. But uh, beginning in 1 Samuel 18, verse 6 and following, says this, And it happened as they, were, as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments, The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry for this saying displeased him. And he he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more could he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Now it came about on the next day, an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul and he raved in the midst of his house. And while David was playing the harp with his hand as usual, and a spear was in Saul's hand, Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David against, excuse me, to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and appointed him as his commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. Verse 14, David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah 
loved David, and he went out and came in before them. Loving Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that even this morning, Father, that as we look at your word, that you would show us, Father, um, where we need to be. I pray, Father, that you would impress upon our hearts the, that the Holy Spirit would guide us and be our teacher. Father, we're so thankful for the Lord Jesus and all that he has done for us in giving his life for ours. Father, I thank you for the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. He is that great treasure. And I pray, Father, that, that each and every person who can hear my voice would make him their great treasure. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> you know, if you've walked with God any amount of time in your life, you understand what I'm going to say next. God's training is not explained in advance. You know, I, I was thinking about this, and, and you, you note how David began, and um, God did not, as far as the, the scripture records, um, he did not sit David down and say something like this. He did not sit him down and say, now listen, David, here's what's going to happen, okay? You're, you're going to need some training and maturity before you're able to handle being a king. So I'm going to allow Saul to try and kill you and chase you all over the Judean desert for the next 10 years so that you will learn to depend more on me. That didn't happen. And when we sign on to serve the Lord, he doesn't sit us down and give us the whole plan. We would like that. It would freak us out if he did that. I never imagined in my, my entire life that I would be standing before people preaching God's word. But understand, his training is not explained in advance. There's no record that David knew up front what was going to happen to him. It just started happening. He was out watching sheep and they pulled him in and they anointed him as king over Israel. I mean, all of a sudden, his life is about to change. Well, welcome to God's training for equipping great leaders. I mean, that's how God prepares and trains his people if he told us in advance what he planned to take us through, to conform us into the image of his son, we would probably, we would absolutely run for the nearest exit. I mean, aren't you glad God doesn't allow you to, to know the future in advance? I mean, he reveals his training one step at a time. But even though God doesn't explain the training in advance, we need to recognize what it is when it comes. And sometimes we don't know what's happening. We're, we're wondering about it. We're like, God, you, I, I said I would serve you. I don't, I don't know exactly where you are taking us. It's, it's uncharted territory. I like to have everything planned out, Lord. He don't care about our plans. And he's not going to do anything until we are ready. And this is key because a lot of times we run ahead of God. We say, oh, he's wanting me to do this. So, so we run ahead of God and we try to make the situation for us. And what he's saying is we need to wait on him. I love this. You know, Hebrews 12, 5 instructs us, do not regard 
lightly the discipline of the Lord. So when you encounter difficult situations, as a child of God, don't chalk it up to bad luck. It's not bad luck. Don't shrug your shoulders and say, well, that's life. Bring God into the picture and recognize that this is his way of training you to share his holiness. We don't like it because it's difficult. It's hard. And we think that we ought to have answers. But understand this. It's not explained in advance. But God's training goes on for a lifetime. It's not a one and done. You know, David was a sharp young man and he was used mightily by God as a teenager. Young people, don't let anyone despise your youth. God knows where he has you. He knows what you're doing. But we need to understand that God did not see fit to entrust him with the responsibility of being the king and of the kingdom until he was about 30. Let me give you a couple other examples from scripture. You think about Joseph. Joseph spent his 20s, the decade of his 20s in a dungeon, in prison, in Egypt, and was not elevated to the number two spot in the land until he was 30. John the Baptist He was about 30 when he began his ministry. Even our Lord Jesus waited until he was about 30 to begin his public ministry. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was probably 30 when he was saved, when he had that that road to Damascus experience with Jesus. And and he he knew his Hebrew Bible well, and he was exceptionally gifted. But God sent him to Arabia for three years private training, then he sent him five to ten years in Tarsus before his ministry to Antioch began. See, it's, it's not a hard, fast rule because there are many notable exceptions. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, is, is one notable exception. But as a general rule, it might be wise to view our teens and our 20s as a time of preparation and a time of training. Training for the ministry which God has called us to. And of course, the training doesn't stop at 30. It continues all of our lives. And whenever we begin the process, we need to recognize that God does not give us a a crash course. He does not give us the Cliff Notes version. Okay, when when he's training us, his program involves years of training. And there's no such thing as instant training fruit of the spirit you can't just pray for it and the next day you have it it's a training process of bearing fruit you know it's 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 crazy we we want instant everything in this world we want it right now we want it yesterday if you know we go through the drive-through and the fast food is not fast enough and you know it's like it's like what are we thinking and so then when we come to the lord and his training in us It takes time. Precious time. Time we don't have. And so what we do is many times we end up short-circuiting God's plan. 
See, God's training must be repeated even when you pass the test. You know, in schools, in, in colleges, in universities, a passing grade usually means that you move on to a new course. Okay, I've, 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 I've done this one. I, I made a passing grade. I'm, I'm not going to have to repeat this one. But in God's training, quite often, a lesson must be repeated even when you pass. And I think this is important because we see this clearly in David's life. You know, we understand God called David a man after his own heart while he was still a teenager. He was not rebellious. He was not disobedient. He had a strong personal faith in God. And yet God taught David in lesson after lesson where he would put David in some extreme difficulty so that he had to trust the Lord again and again and again. In reading through 1 Samuel, I found eight different times, eight different times where David had to take the test again. You say, man, this just seems like I'm on a merry-go-round. I just keep, keep having to take this test. We just read about a time here where Saul tried to play, you know, pin the spear on David. You know, he's over there. He, he's upset. He's in his head. He's in his feelings. He takes his spear and he throws it at David. Don't forget, Saul was a great warrior. He knew how to use a spear. This wasn't an untested thing. He probably knew how to hit his mark every time. But for whatever reason, whatever reason, he didn't hit his mark. If you fast forward to the very next chapter and you go to 1 Samuel 19 verse 8, it says, When there was a war again, David went out, fought with the Philistines, defeated them with a great slaughter, so they, they fled before him. Verse 9, now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul as he was sitting in the house with his spear in his hand and David was playing the harp with his hand and Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear but he slipped away out of Saul's presence so that he struck the spear, stuck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. Here in the very next chapter we see the same thing that, that just happened. God put David in a tight spot and David responded. He passed the test. The next chapter, it happens again. It's like, wow, he, I thought he passed the test. He did. This is how God operates. It was during this time that David wrote these words from Psalm 34, 19. He said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Many are the afflictions. In other words, God's training or discipline is not just for those who are wayward to bring them back into line. It's also for those who are faithful and obedient to make them even more like Christ. See, you may pass the lesson in God's training with flying colors only to find yourself given the same lesson all over again. See, God's training is necessary for us to handle success. 
I mean, as we saw here and as we've seen, David was catapulted into fame and popularity as a result of his victory over Goliath. And often, that is the most dangerous thing that can happen to a young person. Because all of a sudden, we start thinking it's us and not God. It goes to our head. We get filled with pride. Look in in verse 30 of, of chapter 18 here. It says, Then the commanders of the Philistines went out to battle, and it happened as often as they went out that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so his name was highly esteemed. Oh, man, you think about this. He's young. He's going out. He's handling himself well. He's handling himself in wisdom. And, and, and all of the, the people that were around him thought, man, this guy has it. He, he's, he's got it going on. And, and, you know, the Scottish historian Carlyle, he said, affliction is bad. But for every person who can handle prosperity, there are a hundred that can handle adversity. What that tells me is there's very few people that can handle prosperity without them being filled with pride, without them feeling like they did all that. But listen, God often uses adversity to humble a person so they can handle success when it comes. I know what I'm talking about. The Apostle Paul, after he was caught up in paradise, 2 Corinthians 12, said he heard inexpressible words, words which a man is not permitted to speak. But he was given a thorn in the flesh, most likely some type of physical ailment to keep him from exalting himself. If you're going to experience any sort of success in serving Christ, then you can be assured that you will be taking his adversity training course so that you can learn how to handle the success properly. See, many things could be mentioned here, but for the sake of time, I'm going to limit myself here to four objectives which can be seen in what David was learning during these years on the run from Saul. Excuse me, objective number one. David learned to take refuge in the Lord and to see the Lord's love even in adversity. Sometimes when it seems like all of the world is against us, we get down in the dumps, we get in despair, we get discouraged, and we, we want to throw in the towel and quit. But what we see is David learned to take refuge in the Lord and to see the Lord's love even in adversity. In a word, I would say that David learned to trust God. Just to lean in and trust God, even when it seemed like God didn't care. I mean, we note Psalm 59, which David wrote after his escape uh, in, in 1 Samuel 19. And this is what he, what he writes. He writes this. He says, because of his strength, I will watch for you. 
For God is my stronghold. My God in his loving kindness will meet me. God will let me look triumphantly on my foes. And verse 16 in in Psalm 59 says, But as for me, I shall sing of your strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning. For you have been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For God is my stronghold, the God who shows me loving kindness. See, David's emphasis here is on God as his refuge and strength and on God's loving kindness. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. When adversity hits, when you feel like others are against you, when you feel like the road is difficult, that's the time. To press in and look at God as your refuge and strength. Remember David had been forced to escape for his life. From his own house when when he wrote this. The the, the passage in, in chapter 19. Saul's coming for David. He sends his men. His wife who's Saul's daughter knows what they're up to. And so she tells David you need to leave tonight because he wants to kill you. And he said, well, how am I going to do that? They're out there. So what they did is they took a, what they call a household idol and they put it in the bed where David would be and they, they put some goat hair on it and kind of made it look like he was in bed, sick. And so he actually t- took the window exit, you know. He climbed out the window and escaped. But his wife, Saul's daughter, allowed him to do that. But even in the midst of adversity, when somebody was coming to kill him, God was his refuge and his strength. I love that. And here he is singing about God's strength and love. I mean, what would you be singing about in those circumstances? Would you be singing? I mean, think about it. C.H. McIntosh, he wrote, Never interrupt God's, excuse me, never interpret God's love by your circumstances. But always interpret your circumstances by his love. You say, but, but Ridge, how do I do that? How do I, how do, I do what, you're, what you're talking about? Think about it like this. When a parent takes their small child to the doctor, the child doesn't know what's going on. They go to the doctor. The child is frightened and doesn't understand why they're there. The nurse comes out with a needle and scares the child even more. And during this time, the child will hug close to the parent all the more, even though he doesn't understand why his parent brought him to the doctor. By way of contrast, have you ever tried to help a a trapped bird? The frightened creature doesn't trust you. If it would just relax You could free it very easily, but its attempts to free itself and to get away from you make it more difficult to help keep it from hurting. What I'm saying is we need to be like the child that hugs the parent a little more closely rather than freaking out and and trying to do it our own way until we just can't move anymore. In times of suffering, we should be like the trusting child. Cling tightly to God and don't 
doubt his love for you. I have to move on. Objective number two, David learned to seek the Lord's mind rather than act impulsively on his own. And here what I want to say is David learned submission. Allowing God to be God and allowing him to direct your paths. So many of us act first and then we think later. But David was learning to take the situation before the Lord. Before he did anything else and then then he would submit to the Lord's direction. Two times that we read of David could have killed Saul on the spot. But he obeyed the Lord. In later narratives, there are other examples of David being very careful, pausing uh, to seek the Lord's mind in a situation before proceeding, and then acting in obedience to the Lord. You can read that in, in chapter 30, verses 1 through 8. And, and you know, it's an amazing thing that happened there. But he sought the Lord. So how do you react when adversity strikes? Do you push the panic button and try to eject yourself from the situation by any means possible? I mean, sometimes that's what we try to do. Or do you stop and say, Lord, how do you want me to respond in this situation? What do you want me to do? And then, do you do it when you hear from the Lord? Are you learning to submit to God in the lessons in which he presents you? Objective number three. David learned to lean on the Lord for his timing. And in a word, he learned endurance. Endurance. 1 Samuel 26, uh, 10 and 11. I didn't mark that, but I'm going to get there real quick here. says, David also says, as the Lord lives, surely this day, excuse me, surely the Lord will strike him or his day will come that he dies and he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let us go. He had an opportunity to kill Saul and his army as, he, as they slept. And he said, God forbid that I take the Lord's anointed. And I think that's huge. Because after the stuff that had been going on for years, Saul had been chasing him down. He was running for his life and living in caves while Saul was living in the palace in luxury. Maybe it was during this time that David wrote in Psalm 62, 5, My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is in him. See, David was learning to persevere. He was learning the lesson of endurance. Anyone who serves the Lord must learn to wait upon the Lord, to endure. You know, the Christian life is not a hundred yard dash. It's a marathon. 
A marathon is never judged by how fast the runners spring out of the starting blocks. They don't even use starting blocks in a marathon. But it's always determined, always, always by the long haul. And you gotta be in it for the long haul. I'm almost certain that it's exciting to be anointed as king when you're a teenager. But excitement and thrills are not enough to sustain a man who must face the pressures of running the government and defending the kingdom day in and day out for 40 years. I mean, you think about it. If he had been put in the place as king as a teenager, he probably would have failed miserably. But by going through God's leadership training, by by going through the adversity, by going through the endurance, by going through the submission part, David learned what he needed to do. Excitement and thrills are not enough to sustain you in the pressures of ministry for Christ over a lifetime. Oh, it's exciting, it's fresh to begin to serve the Lord in some new ministry. It's thrilling to see God using you and to hear the acclaim of people. But to be strong, to be running strong enough to reach the finish line, you've got to learn to wait on the Lord because it's required in God's training. My last objective is this. David learned to acknowledge his sin quickly to the Lord and to those he wronged. In a word here, he developed a tender conscience. A tender conscience. See, at one point during his running from Saul, David came to Ahimelech the priest. This is in chapter 21. He came to Ahimelech the priest. And what happened was David lied to the priest by telling the priest that he was on a mission from Saul. As a result of that lie, the priest helped David. And in helping David, Saul heard of it and executed the priest and the whole village of priests where he lived, including his entire household. Because David lied. Think about that. One son escaped. Abiathar, and he fled to David. Now put yourself in David's sandals for just a moment. By your lie, you've caused the death of this young man's father and every person in his household. By your lie. And the man comes to you. What would you say? It seems to me it would probably be a strong temptation to blame Saul. But David accepted responsibility and the blame and he confessed it openly to this man. And his conscience was troubled after he had, uh, even after he had cut off the edge of Saul's sword or robe. He, he, he took his sword and he cut off the edge of his robe and David's conscience bothered him about that because he had lifted something towards God's anointed. He had a tender conscience. When Abigail confronted David later on with the wrongfulness of taking revenge upon her idiot husband, Nabal, 
he immediately, before all of his men and before this woman, which was very humbling in that culture, he acknowledged his sin and he thanked the Lord for sending her. See, the difference between David and Saul was not that Saul sinned and David did not sin. The difference is is that when Saul sinned, he would not confess his sin. But when David sinned and was confronted with it, he he was quick to confess it to the Lord and to those whom he had wronged. See, like David, God wants us to develop a tender conscience before him. To keep a clear conscience. Like the Apostle of Paul, he testified, he said, I do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. See, those whom God uses must go through his training to develop trust, submission, endurance, and a tender conscience. But listen, if you're a Christian, you're in training. Be assured that God has his best interest, your best interest at heart. Though it's difficult and not always fun, God is training you to share his holiness. As I wrap this up, I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. You know, if you're not in God's training, you may be thinking, well, why would I want to get involved in that kind of training? It just sounds like a a hard life, a difficult life. But the answer in God's word is that his training may be difficult, but the alternative is devastating. His training may be difficult, but the alternative is devastating. It says in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8 and 9, if you do not know God and obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, you will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be obedient. If God wants to take me to school, take me to school. Because I want that training, as difficult as it may be, as much as I don't like it, as much as I don't enjoy it, I know that he is preparing me for heaven. He's taking all that other stuff away that I don't need. See, Christ bore that awful penalty for me and for you. And he offers eternal life as a gift for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves it is a gift of God for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life you know in just a moment I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand and worship some more. And during this next song, I just want to invite you to make your way to the front. 
If you want to come for salvation, if you've never confessed Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you come. I'm going to be standing right down here. Maybe you've never followed the Lord in baptism, you come. Maybe you want to come and be a part of the church here, the the fellowship of Memorial, you come. Maybe you just want to come and, and pray. You recognize you're not where you need to be. Maybe you want to come and lift someone up in intercession. Maybe you want to come and pray for our nation, pray for our church. If you don't have anything else to pray for, pray for me. I need it, okay? I need the prayers and you need the practice, so let's do that. But I just encourage you today, you move as God moves you. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for what you do each and every day.